Uh, welcome to Movies Charles Hasn't Seen, Episode 2. My name is Crossman. My name is Wilson. And I'm Charles. And as friends, we discovered Charles enjoys movies, but other than major blockbusters from the last 15 years, he hasn't seen any. So as good friends, we decided to expose him to personal favorites and cinematic classics. And this week, we watched Annie Hall. So Charles, what was Annie Hall about? So... Annie Hall's the tale of New York comedian Alvin Singer and his on and off conflicted relationship uh, with the singer Annie Hall. Um, and so it goes through the good times and the bad times, how they met, uh, where things might have gone wrong. Uh, it chronicles their differences in personality. Um, and for some reason, he keeps wanting to get back together with her. <laughs> now, when we first raised this movie, you mentioned that the only thing that you knew about it was that it beats Star Wars for the best Oscar picture that yes, year. Yes, that, that is literally all I had heard about it before. <laughs> is, so is that actually your only impression of Andy Hall? Or did you know a little bit about I came Woody with, Allen and all that? I came in with basically <clears throat> no expectation of it. I haven't seen any other Woody Allen films. Um, I have a vague impression of what his style might be, just knowing, like... Jewish humor, I guess. <laughs> like, you know, I have friends who talk about him and uh, talk about his humor style. Uh, so I had that, like, vague impression, but I didn't really know what to expect or what the plot was going to be like or anything like that. I just know the connection to Star Wars because I love Star Wars so much. <laughs> and so, Wilson, you chose this movie. Could yes. You, could you tell us why you chose this movie for Charles to see? I mean, I, I part of the reason is that it was drastically different from the movie we watched last week. But the more important reason is that I love this movie. <laughs> I, I, I first saw Annie Hall when I was a sophomore or junior in high school when I was working at a movie rental store in my hometown. Um, and I saw it because I wanted to learn more about movies, and my strategy was to watch all of the best Oscar winners, which I have since realized is a poor strategy for a lot of <laughs> movies. But I, it did lead to me... Did you stop on Crash? Yeah. You made it, you made it back to Crash. I actually, I, I had watched Crash before it won the best the best Oscar uh, <laughs> picture and uh, or award and regretted it. I, I knew it was bad. <laughs> I, I think I saw that one in theaters, actually. You did? Oh, God. I, saw, <laughs> I rented it, and man, that movie was awful. Um, yeah. But yeah, it did lead me to Annie Hall, which uh, I have since seen many, many times. Like I, I, have, I first saw it when I was about 13. I last watched it about two or three years ago, and I've definitely seen this more than five times, probably more than ten times. Um, it's just an, an all-timer for me. I always cite it as my favorite romantic comedy, but now we're wondering if it actually constitutes a romantic comedy. Um, so <laughs> I, I first saw this movie probably about when I was 13. Um, but I truthfully, I didn't really remember much from it. Okay. Uh, so when I re-watched <clears throat> it um, just yesterday, <clears throat> that was the second time I'd seen the movie. And, okay. Uh, remember, um, I do remember other Woody Allen movies, so I've seen a lot. Because I think my parents are in like the right wheelhouse for it age-wise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so my parents were born in 59 and 60, so they're like perfect too. age yep. for Woody Allen. So they were fans, and then they, as kids, they showed us Woody Allen movies. So I remember very distinctly watching like Sleepers and Bananas, yeah. and um, I think when they were older, they, they let me, or when I was older, they let me watch um, 
everything you ever wanted to know about sex. <laughs> um, I know I, they didn't have to have the talk with you, right? No, like, yeah, here no. it is. <laughs> what's, what's you see Woody Allen have sex with a sheep? You, yeah, it's like this. This is not need what? to know anything else. That's, yeah, that happens in that movie. Right, we're gonna have to put uh, that one in the queue for you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Match Point is a. Yeah, I liked movie, Match right? Point. Yeah, so that yes. was great. I saw that in college. <clears throat> right. Um, and other than that, I probably haven't seen like a huge number of Woody Allen movies, although I, I've been meaning to see um, uh, Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris is great. You haven't yeah. seen Blue Jasmine? came out a couple no, years ago. No, I haven't. It's, it's more, since uh, Matchpoint, I haven't really kept up with this movie, so, yeah. although I've only heard good things. Yeah, it's like this yeah. retelling of Streetcar Named Desire set in San Francisco. Yeah. And it's, have you seen Streetcar Named Desire, Charles? No. No? Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Blue Jasmine uh, follows... Uh, that narrative pretty closely, gotcha. and it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I um, definitely saw a lot of new things this time around. Like, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, surprisingly subversive movie, and I always remember uh, the Woody Allen movies based on like what I've seen. So the more like pure comedies of Bananas and Sleepers. Um, this time around, I found Woody Allen to be like. Really annoying. Yes. Uh, oh, I <laughs> yeah. oh man, I was like in his previous movies. I didn't. I remember thinking he's very funny. But so you're about to I didn't actually it. realize, but I had seen the intro scene before where he's just talking to you with a brown screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because someone in an online discussion had linked the YouTube video, yeah, right? Explicitly but, yeah. breaking the fourth wall. Uh, rewatching right. it now and not just watching for those two famous jokes he makes. <laughs> like it was kind of exasperating to watch him go on because he keeps <laughs> breaking off on these tangents everywhere. Yeah. Uh, and so you never really reach a point. He just keeps diving off into separate tangents when he's talking, and, like, it just gave me this, like, uncomfortable feeling in my chest of, like, lack of resolution, I guess, because he keeps talking. Um, and this kind of frenetic, chaotic nature of his, like, manner of speech kind of comes through in the movie, I feel like, because the movie seems to jump all over the place. It seems very disjoint. Uh, I noticed that the movie felt almost like a sketch comedy in a way because there's so many different types of humor right. and they have get dragged together. And they have little vignettes like the coke right. scene and all the bobster scene and all this stuff that doesn't really connect narratively. Like it does emotionally right. and it brings the characters forward but in terms of moving the story forward it doesn't do much. I mean much. you kind of understand what kind of person he is because of yeah. all these different varied comedy scenes but yeah. like it doesn't feel like there's one theme or style to the movie. And I don't, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That It kind of adds to the humor because it makes it very quirky in a way. But there's like, you know, the combination of his childhood memories, the start being very absurdist and seeming almost like a Mel Brooks film in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that that was the one point for me where I like actually laughed while watching, re-watching this The movie. one point? Yeah, you laughed once point? during this movie. Yeah, that was like the one point that. I, well, I actually like laugh out loud. Oh, I, 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 I laughed a good amount the whole time. Really, like, just ninety minutes. So straight. the the then and it was specifically the roller coaster house <laughs> under the, yeah, which I yeah. didn't it's remember so at all, absurd. but it was actually a great joke. Yes, uh, and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, the rest of it, I kind of like chuckled and was like, oh, that's like amusing. But I, it, for me, it was like no longer a laugh out loud comedy. And I wonder if that's just because, like, my sense of humor has changed. And I wonder if I were to go back and watch his, like, more pure comedies, whether I'd even, like, find them funny anymore. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. But maybe it just comes from, like, you know, a lot of the humor in the movie is, like, very risque for its time period. Right. And now it seems, like, kind of quaint. Right. Although there's some some jokes. It seems so normal now. 
No, well, there's some jokes that are still, like, a bit out there. Um, or just even, like, plot points that are kind of out there. Like, they, like, Annie Hall smokes pot. Like, like a lot. Uh, and right. they, they do coke, like, pretty casually. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I thought, oh, yeah. that must have just been <laughs> yeah. a thing of the time. Yeah. Yeah, and, in, in, like, a movie even for today, that would be, like, pretty out there. Right. I yeah. mean, for some of just... It, casual depictions of drug use that don't really have that many negative side effects, mm-hmm. right? Like, they, they, she's not really getting punished for all, this, all the pot that she smokes, yeah. right? Like, they do coke a little bit, but nothing bad happens because of it. It's just really a joke, and that's, <laughs> yeah. and that's it. And so, yeah, I, I agree that it, it kind of pushes some boundaries where you might not, yeah, might not even see it today. I mean, it's a movie that is a lot about sex and drugs. Yeah. That... It, Almost entirely yeah. about sex. Like it, every right. yeah. conversation in the movie is about sex, right? Much. Or drugs. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and yeah, you might not see that in especially a movie that would win the Academy Award. Yeah, right. In nineteen seventy-seven, which yeah. is insane. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the, I think the, the other way, the other reason the reason this is notable as an Academy Award winner is that it is in many ways a genre film, right? Like you don't see comedies win that often. You don't see romantic comedies win that often. Or ever. Yeah. Or ever, right? Yeah. And I was surprised to find out the movie was a comedy when I heard that it won Best Picture. Right. I didn't expect that. Actually. Right, because I, I can't think of that many. I can't think of that many There's genre There's got to be like a Marx Brothers film that won. Right, Maybe. right. I, I, I couldn't even tell you that. Yeah, I can't name yeah. all the Best Oscar yeah. or the Best Picture winners. but uh, Or maybe a Chaplin film early on. That seems plausible. Yeah. But, like um, maybe The Dictator, but I... Certainly not yeah. recently. Like, have what? You, wait, Charles, have you seen The Dictator? Nope. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, that's I don't a, think that's... I've seen anything before, like, 1960. So that's old <laughs> enough to be in the public domain at this point. <laughs> you can watch it on YouTube, and it's okay. Yeah, right. No one will see it. <laughs> yeah. I'll look into um, that. So, uh, and then maybe we can get back to, like, why it's subversive. Right. Uh, you maybe, Charles, like, do you have any opinions on, like, why it's subversive? As a film, or did you do you think of it as a subversive film after seeing it? Um, yeah. I don't think that's a thought that came up. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if I know exactly what that would mean in this context. Um, well, insofar as it's fighting against norms, right? Okay. Because we we see several women in this movie owning their sexuality in a way that you wouldn't, it that you don't in other films and in other genres, even of that era, even of our era. Mm-hmm. Right, it's like there are several women in here that are having casual sex, and that's fine. Right, like it's not treated as anything bad. If anything, yep. the sexual punishment is directed at Elvie Singer. Right, yeah. he, he's the one that is caught up and anxious about his own sexual prowess, mm-hmm. less so than what the women are doing, and they seem relatively confident in their sexuality throughout. Okay, I guess yeah. I feel like I've seen enough depictions of female characters like that that it didn't really startle me or like it didn't really come to me as anything unique yeah in and a it, way. it might it's not now feels like really uncommon like maybe it's more common <clears throat> in tv for sure sure and we're just in this like hbo era of tv where like weeds is a show and you know other like hbo shows where like female sexuality is like okay right mm-hmm. in movies it still feels like pretty taboo yeah, and, um, and especially in comedies and uh, and movies that are, are winning awards. Right? Yeah. Like, this is a prestige comedy. To the point That's where, like, what, what was it, Blue is the Warmest Color? I love that movie. Uh, Charles, have you seen Blue is the Warmest Color? No. Okay. <laughs> I don't think um, I've heard of that one. So actually. that one addresses, like, female and, like, gay female sexuality, like, head on. And yeah. that, like, 
was like very subversive. Yes. And that came out like yet last year. Yes. So. Yes. Although to be okay. fair, like that has a yeah. ten minute long explicit sex scene. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> right. But um and then other points at which I feel like the movie's like really subversive um was when he's having dinner with Annie Hall's family and they're sort of this oh, man. Air, like American aristocrat right. like like, white family, <laughs> and he, he calls them out like as being anti-Semitic, like at the table in this like step on the gas joke. Right, where he he becomes a Hasidic Jew. Right, yes, at yeah. the table in his right. in the in the grandmother's eyes, For which a flash. is which is great and probably one of the best scenes in the movie. Other, yeah, other than like the roller coaster. Really <laughs> <scene. laughs> I mean, that scene in particular yeah. struck home for me because it takes place in Wisconsin. And I'm from Wisconsin. Is it Wisconsin? I, yes. I thought it was did, on Long Island. On no, no, no. Oh, okay. Chippewa Falls. He goes back to Chippewa huh. Falls, Wisconsin, gotcha. okay. which is one town over from where I went to college. Yeah. Nice. And uh, he, it, and it seems like Woody Allen's idea of what the Midwest is like is substantially different from my experience. Yeah, that is <laughs> it, right. It because it, his to me that red is like Connecticut. Right. It was yeah. waspy. It was yeah. it was really buttoned down and conservative yeah. and. That is not what my experience, my personal experience with the Midwest is. So I think yeah. it kind of spoke to Woody's own lack of experience and biases <laughs> when he thinks that this is how people outside of New York behave, yeah. outside I mean, of Long Island. It behave. seems to be established that he's he's uh, very readily suspecting of people being anti-Semitic, right? I mean, he, right. they had the scene earlier with him talking <laughs> yeah, about, like, like, right did you eat? Jew eat? And it's played as a joke, but then, like, proven completely correct when they go to dinner. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> apparently, yeah. something like that yeah. with the old lady. Yeah. Right, and and I think that brings us to another interesting theme in this movie is how self-critical is this, right? Because the Elvis Singer and Woody Allen are in most respects the same person, right? <laughs> They're, they are comedians, Jewish comedians mm-hmm. in New York obsessed with death and neuroses and, right, like they... They come at life. From I was a wondering how much it was supposed to be a representation of himself. Right, and he says it's not. He like I, I read an interview. He's like, no, this is a work of fiction. And it's like, <laughs> okay, Woody, sure it is. <laughs> and, and so I'm wondering if we can accept the idea that Elvis Singer and Woody Allen are supposed to be largely identical. How self-critical is this movie? How much of this movie is? Woody Allen's saying he's doing things incorrectly. Right, he needs to change his behavior in the way that. Elvis Singer doesn't. I don't know if you guys had any perspective on that idea. Well, I mean, Elvis Singer does seem like a very exaggerated character. Um, and I don't know if that's just how Woody Allen is in real life, or if he's if he means it as like kind of a satirical portrayal of himself in a way um, to kind of highlight what he feels might be wrong about himself. Um, Right, because there's that moment, right, where he, at the end of the movie, right, like after they've broken up, and he is staging their breakup, right, like in that play that he, he puts on with, with like right. NYU kids or something. And instead of her leaving at the end, she says, wait, no, I actually love you. <laughs> right, like, let's get back together. And that is, and like reframing your life as art is essentially what Annie Hall is. Right, because Woody Allen yeah. and Diane Keaton actually dated for a while, 
right? Like that I didn't before, know. The, yeah, before this movie happened, like Andy wrote it, Andy directed it, Andy, Andy acted it, and started it, <laughs> yeah. right? And and all of this is like a direct byproduct of his life. So how much of and it's like loosely biographical with his family, <laughs> right? Yeah. Growing up in not on Coney Island, but in, he grew up in Flatbush or something, I think. Yeah, uh-huh. and. So how much of that scene where he is staging the recent breakup as art is actually what's happening in in Annie Hall, where he is taking his relationship and experience growing up mm-hmm. and the relationship with Diane Keaton and reframing it as this movie, Annie Hall? I, I mean, it's hard to separate him from this character because yeah. he's, like, so in it. Well, what's amazing, though, is that the character is completely unsympathetic yes. and like pretty <clears throat> awful actually yes. throughout the movie like yes. he's really yeah. I actually found it like a little hard to watch because he's so terrible and like very it's, hard to he's connect such with an him. asshole extremely yeah. pretentious yeah yes totally and the whole everything is about him right it's about it's from his perspective it's his family story right and uh it's you know, him dating 70s attractive women and... Uh, <laughs> and Shelley Duvall. And Shelley Duvall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and he... I don't He's just kind of awful and, like, made it actually, like, kind of hard to watch through the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah. stood out for me more yeah. on this viewing than, you know, my first viewing when I was 13 years old. Because I remember watching yeah. this when I was 13. I was like, oh, man, yeah. this guy's... He's getting jerked around. Why doesn't she want to be with him? And all this, like, <laughs> really self-absorbed 13-year-old bullshit. Yeah. And yeah, watching yeah. it this time around, it's like, it, the message he's sending is a lot clearer, right? And that Annie Hall was able to change. He wasn't. And as soon as she became, as, she, as soon as she approached his level of success, mm-hmm. he freaks out, right? Like, he's not okay with it. And he doesn't have her right where she where Right, exactly. Yeah, he's no longer like, in control of the relationship. Her career. Right. Yeah. Right. And, like, that is... That's what made me think that this is a self-critical movie, right? That Because that, if this character is so closely related to Woody Allen and also depicted as such a deplorable asshole, <laughs> what does that say about yeah. about Woody and his own self-perspective? Right? As yeah. long as he realizes that this character actually is an asshole and he might be that self-absorbed. That's possible, right? And, and how much of it is critical of the audience, right? Like how many young men showed up at Woody Allen and said, yeah, man, he really, L.B. Singer really got the, the fuzzy end of that lollipop, that, yeah. that jerk Dan Keaton, <laughs> right? Like, how much of that is what he's drawing out here? Yeah, and I think another reason the movie's subversive, again, because of the time period, but even today would be a thing, was, like, Diane Keaton comes off great. She's a great main character. Right. Carries the movie really well, and, uh, you, you know, normally... You wouldn't expect that he would kind of like get the girl at the end, yes. and yeah. uh, that that sort of thing. Was and it a new thing for it not to work out in the end? Oh, it, totally. It, I yes. mean, this okay. is like pre. There aren't that many like anything like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even now, there aren't that many movies that are like. That. I was gonna say, even yeah. now, it feels a little novel. Yeah, I, mean, I, think I can like, think of a few, like or at least Frozen. one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Frozen. I can think of one movie where it doesn't work yeah. out. Yeah. In you've seen, wait, you've seen Frozen, right, Charles? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right, Regrettably. Right. But even <laughs> Regrettably, think, that's a good no. Frozen's great. Like You're insane. Yeah. Yeah. Like the nice thing about Frozen is that yeah, she doesn't get with the guy, but she gets with the sister. Right. It's like a story about sisterhood. So even there, it's like a happy ending. Yeah. Whereas, so the one, but it's a happy ending for Diane Keaton. Like, yeah. things work out for yeah, her. Yeah, it's not a happy ending for our main character, right? Yeah, it's good for her because she gets rid of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> this movie really reminded me of 500 Days of Summer. Yes. Which is, I mean, it's Absolutely. practically a retelling of Annie Hall with the main character being less of a dick, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they're a little bit more subtle about how much of a jerk 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt is in that movie. Right. I mean, he's not like straight up pretentious, I guess. But right. He, he's got uh, right, but he's still very he's self-absorbed he's in the very, same way. Very selfish. Right. Yeah. And like insofar as the just I forgot what the character's name is, but the yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt character assumes that this girl should just like him, right? Like if if he does, if he follows the steps, she should be ready to to run to him. And I think that. Elvis Singer makes a similar move because yeah, that's the movie I was reminded of too. It's February right. Days of Summer. I kind of retroactively <clears throat> traced it back. Yeah, like there's clear DNA. It's there. probably influenced by Annie Hall heavily. Yeah. So, th- this might be kind of out there, but one thing that this or one other movie of this film like really reminded me of was actually Pulp Fiction. Say more. Um, and <laughs> huh. so the way that it, it treats time, right. at least for the first half of the movie, yeah, is very Pulp Fiction esque. Sure. Where. Sure. Um, aside from like the very clear like early in his life, and even in that, you see him um, like appear in the classroom like right. as, as an adult, critiquing so, his childhood. Right, yeah. exactly. Um, so that's another like Tarantino thing because uh, in Kill Bill Two, like she appears in, in the yes. classroom too. So like, yes, I, I don't know if you can draw like a direct line, but oh, I, I would assume that never... Tarantino yeah. is. Pulling from things like this, right? Because it's even um, shot from the same angle, right? Like you yeah. have Beatrice, like she's in the corner, camera at the front, pointed at her, raising her hand. Yeah, yeah. but so the way that it treats yeah. time, where you sort of the movie starts at the end of their relationship, and then it goes back to his young childhood, and right. then when they meet, and it sort of skips around, and you're not totally sure where in time like, yes. these scenes are existing. Yeah. Yeah, even the first and, scene, right? Like because it comes um, off as him saying their relationship's over. But you you see them begin and start this relationship so many times. So when was he telling these jokes at the beginning, right? Like, are they going to end up together or not? You're not, even though he says they're not at the beginning. You don't know. And so he kind of buttons it up at the end of the movie because like it ends with like after their relationship, their relationship officially ends, and then it's like after their relationship years later. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So it 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 pulls out of that use of time. but at least for the, like the first half, maybe three quarters of the film, it was like very reminiscent of Pulp Fiction. I hear that, yeah. Um, because of like how it, you know, treats time that way. Um, yeah, because I, I, yeah. I, I read an interview that Woody Allen gave, I think at the time, like shortly yeah. after this movie came out, and his initial goal with this movie was to have it function as a stream of consciousness, right? Like it's L.V. Singer depicting on screen what he is thinking of and feeling in as he's feeling it, right? And he's going to be remembering these yeah. things and remembering these, you know, good times, bad times with yeah. Diane Keaton, you know, in the moment, not in chronological order. And he had a, he he was lamenting that he had to scrap that idea to a large degree. But I think you see the yeah. DNA of it all over I, there. Right? Yeah, I also read that they had shot like two hours and twenty yeah. uh, <laughs> worth of movie, and yeah. we only get like huh. an hour and a half in this movie. So I wonder like how much of that comes from. Let's cut out all this connecting material because it's like way, way too long. Yeah, because, uh, it, well, apparently the initial plan was to have it not focus as a love story, right? To me, it more be like the life of L.B. Singer. Uh, no, apparently yeah. originally it was a, a murder mystery. Yes, Wait, yes. What? Yeah, yeah, it was it, originally. It went through many steps. Yeah, the first draft, it was a murder mystery, <laughs> and the, like the romance was kind of around that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, is, is he like a detective comedian in that one? Or Probably. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. He goes on to be. Uh, a detective comedian in um, what the Jade Scorpion? Curse of the Jade Scorpion. Which I, yeah, I also saw that. That yeah. was one of the worst. Woody, <laughs> that's probably the worst Woody Allen movie I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, wait, have, have you seen Curse of the Jade? I haven't Scorpion? seen any other okay. Woody Allen. Wait, wait, and I forgot. Do you, have you seen Pulp Fiction? Of course, I've seen Pulp Fiction. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah, and At least Bell. you've seen that. <laughs> yeah. that, that counts. Yes. Um, Although this movie does begin Woody Allen's streak of directing a movie a year. 
that is still going on today. Yeah, which is insane. Yes. Completely, completely <laughs> insane. Bonkers. Yeah. Since the Jade Scorpion one? No, no, no. since Annie, Annie Hall. Hall. Since that's 1977, he's directed a movie a year. And that's a lot, that's a lot of movies. They haven't all been good, but they've all he's, they've been there. Yeah, every that year. kind of like Shakespearean level output yeah. is insane. <laughs> You're right. And yeah. they're not all yeah. that I mean, they all kind of lean on the, you know, Woody Allen style humor and yeah. all that that kind of thing. Uh, but not to an extreme degree, and not all of them. Like he does have variety in there, and it's an impressive, yeah, for, for impressive output. Um, maybe speaking to his character more. So Charles, you told us something your friend. So you tried to watch this with a friend and tell us a little. Yeah. What <laughs> oh yeah. So after we, you know, decided to watch this movie, uh, I was in a hangout with a friend, and uh, we wanted to watch a movie. So I figured this is a good time for me to catch Annie Hall um, and maybe chat with someone who had seen it because I know he liked the movie, um, but. He said we couldn't watch it because his girlfriend did not like Woody Allen, um, and so we. But was she with you? Yeah, she was. There. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, did, did she say she didn't like Woody Allen, or he said she doesn't like Woody Allen? And he said she, she doesn't like Woody Allen, but okay. like she was there. Okay. Um, and like we discussed it later, and it came out as honest. So. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, because I I definitely have second thoughts now and then about Woody Allen movies. He's a despicable guy, right? Like, yeah. actually a despicable guy. And I don't know, do we want to have the separating artist and art, and art conversation? There, there's room for that. Uh, in I mean, that in, doesn't change what's on the screen here. Right. And he also movie. comes off terrible right. in this movie. The, yeah. <laughs> there's that, too. He is, like, a, definitely a misogynist, like, in the movie. Yes. Right. Uh, and <laughs> like, that, it may not be aware of it even when making this film. Yeah. I mean, that is... Uh, yeah, uh, he says it's fiction. I don't believe him. Yeah, pure <laughs> <laughs> and simple. I think he's lying. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know, like because there are people like your friend's girlfriend, and I think it's a totally reasonable position to just say that with these guys like Woody Allen, like Nate Parker, with Birth of a Nation recently, that they just don't want to give don't want to give any money to people that are making art, like people like that who are making art, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think I think it's a fair reaction. Yes. I think this is a good movie and an important movie. Yes. And, like film history um similar to yeah. like i mean it's not as, the most extreme example being like a lenny riefenstahl movie, right? <laughs> yes after this we're gonna be watching triumph of the wills yeah yeah <laughs> i'm assuming charles you haven't seen the lenny riefenstahl movie no I yeah okay, no, okay. <laughs> um so you might she, be concerned if i had uh yeah it's <laughs> no, like I've, oh i'm like I've really big it. into lenny riefenstahl <laughs> no, of course i've seen that <laughs> yeah um actually as such a star wars fan you might appreciate it because the <laughs> yeah. uh um, like how the stormtroopers march. So the Lenny Riefenstahl, famous documentarian for the Nazis, yeah. um, kind of uh, very much in Hitler's like inner right. inner, well, inner circle, right? And advanced and, the form a lot, right? Like the, the documentary. Oh yeah, changed yeah. filmmaking completely. How <laughs> film is shot. Um, but so in the Star Wars reference is like all the the way the stormtroopers march and how they like form battalions. And, and sort of those yeah. like long shots of like a lot of stormtroopers. I've definitely seen comparison yeah. pictures of those shots. Yeah, so yeah. That, those are references to Lenny Riefenstahl documentaries. Yeah, okay. And yeah, and Woody Allen yeah. is basically the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he would love that comparison. <laughs> yeah, literally a Nazi. Actually, the other joke that I did like in the movie was he keeps taking people back to see the <laughs> yes, um, sorrow on the pity. The sorrow on oh, the pity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which which is a reference to Lenny Riefenstahl, right? Yeah. I forget the exact title, but there's like a documentary that's like the opposite of that. Or there's like yeah. a Nazi movie that has the same name but the opposite. Oh gosh, I mean that Triumph of the Will. 
there will. Is the which famous I think, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm. There is, and I'm. I'm spacing out on it. But yeah, yeah. just like and, and and Diane Keaton gets that great line. It's like I'm not ready for another three hour mo- movie about Nazi occupied France. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Although I also identified with Elvis Singer very strongly in that moment when he said that he needed to be in the theater when the movie started. Right, like he needs to see it wall to wall. I'm the same way. Like, I, uh, <laughs> I can't come in late. I can see how someone would be that particular. Yeah, yeah I've loosened up about that. Recently, no, I no I missed, no dice. I missed like a minute of Kubo and the Two Strings. I would have. How gone. could you? Yeah, I, I know, I know. <laughs> but it's still like an amazing movie. And I'm, yeah, I'm that sure movie Great. Just miss, well, like, I mean, nowadays credits. it's just trailers, right? Who cares about yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. Well, and trailers I've seen a million times before. Um, so when I introduced this movie last week to Charles, when he asked what Annie Hall was about, I said that. Annie Hall, the character, functions as a proto-manic pixie dream girl. And I don't know, Charles, you're it, familiar it seemed with... Pretty, it seemed pretty clear to me upon watching the movie why you said that. Right. I mean, so I, I think that she is also an answer to the manic pixie dream girl, because we see, I think, a lot of the dream girl tropes in her introductory scene, right? Like, after they play tennis. Where she's like just being kind of aloof and quirky. And yeah, well, not even that though. She's like really she's flirty. like picking him up. Right. She's which being, is like, all right. She does all unclear her. why because he's been <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And his friend is uh, super attractive. Right. Uh, just this stud. But he has that blonde girl that he was going home with. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But still. Right. Yeah. But still. Yeah. And so yeah, it's not yeah. super clear why she's that into Elvis Singer, but she's very flirty and very uncomfortable about it. Right. Like she she comes yeah. off as. Like she's not used to doing this kind of thing, but she can't resist the charms of Woody Allen, yeah. which yep. makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, which makes zero sense. <laughs> right, that like, did seem kind of strange. Right, but it's very much in his wheelhouse to cast himself as this character that's God's gift to women. And I think that that is also a trope that shows up in the Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies that we see now yeah. without the answer at the end. Also, uh, and another reason the movie is like very subversive is her dress in that yeah. scene. So she's wearing like she got the vest. She's wearing like very exaggerated men's clothing. Like right. the super fat tie and like the really large vest. The dopey and hat. Enormous pants. <laughs> yeah. I think like the yardage oh, on right. the pants is like <laughs> at least a dozen. Right. Um, but right. The, and then Hall. so like extremely out there in terms of style, and then I from... I think he commented on it, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he points out, oh, yeah, I got I got all this stuff from Grammy Hall. Yeah. Yeah, and the tie, yeah, he points out the tie, yeah. right? And uh, and I think from what I read, that becomes, like, kind of a style for, like, a few years after that movie. Yeah, and a uh, popular Halloween costume. Really? Yes. Yeah. People dressed up as Annie that. Hall. Yeah. Yeah, that was... Uh, it, she was all over. So it wasn't yeah. just the fashion of the 70s? I it thought was, they were very weird about their fashion in the no, 70s. I think, yeah. No, they were, but she's like very fashion-forward for that moment. Yeah, all right. And that outfit specifically. Though. And that becomes yeah. like yeah. fashion trends where women start to... It, it, I wish I knew fashion history more, but you know, moving into <laughs> the 80s where you get women who are like... The pantsuit becomes a thing, right. and you get this... Embracing like, more masculine clothing. Yeah, you get this like exaggerated okay. masculine clothing that women wear. Um... So, yeah, like, for a lot of reasons, like, her and this character are, are so subversive, even, mm-hmm. even today. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I don't know how much... It would have to be that her character at the beginning of the movie and the end of the movie are in conversation with each other, right? Yeah. Because I think if she's just still this nervous wreck with no self-esteem and, like, wrecked with self-doubt, which she is at the beginning of the movie, right? Like, she's constantly unsure of herself. Yeah. Um, 
right. think she thought she was a terrible singer. And she all thought, that. She, yeah, she needed Alvin to reassure her. Right, yeah. right, and like her big problem in the relationship the whole time is that she thinks she's not smart enough for him, right? Like that's the tension that they yeah. have throughout, um, and you see it like in the subtitle bit when they're drinking their wine in her apartment. Oh uh, yeah, that was right. great. That was a great little <laughs> and scene. and so I I think that if she's just doing that, she basically is the Natalie Portman character in Garden State, right? But we see. Her, get, yeah, yeah. Charles I have Wilson. not seen Garden State. Wow. Okay. Oh, Garden State sucks. Yeah, <laughs> we're not All right. watch. yeah, we don't need to watch. It. <laughs> <laughs> we can yeah. just listen to his Shin's album. And it, like, right, yeah. that's the best part of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> and call it a day. Ugh, and even that's like a stretch. So. <laughs> oh, still, but I mean, like that movie and Elizabeth Town, which I think is where the term "manic pixie dream girl" comes from. Yeah, it's this guy who needs this quirky girl to get him through his rough times, and I think that. Woody she Allen here. for no reason. Right, for no reason. Yeah. And yeah, Woody Allen both introduces that idea and responds to it by the end of the movie, which yeah. I think is interesting and surprisingly forward-thinking for 1977. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and I think, yeah, the one, so getting back to like when this movie comes out. So it comes out at the moment Star Wars comes mm-hmm. out. <laughs> and you could not get like two more different Movies, yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. And that's that's like shocking, and that it wins. And like t- today, if if you were to like pit the same two movies against each other today, Star Wars wins the Academy Award. No, neither right? of them are what? nominated. That's really? what happens today. Neither of them are nominated. Yep. It, it goes Star Wars to... doesn't seem like the Academy Award type of film either, to be honest. No, it doesn't. Like it's still a genre movie. Like it's a it's a, you know a groundbreaking genre movie, but that doesn't matter. Like the, if the, if these two movies come out today, it's the, well, maybe it's uh, cause I think Sorcerer came out at the same time. Uh, okay. Maybe it's that wins because that's like a there, <laughs> there will be blood right kind of movie right, and so that would win. Nobody would see it. And that would win uh, Best Picture. Yeah, Charles, have you seen There Will Be Blood? Nope. And have you seen The Sorcerer? I don't think I've even heard of The Sorcerer. Okay. <laughs> right. uh, the Sorcerer, right. Sorcerer, not yeah, the, not that. Not that's the a different sorcerer. movie. Sorcerer, okay. yeah. uh, which is a Roy Scheider movie and is excellent. Right. Uh, and I actually just saw it for the first time a few weeks ago. Um, anyways. <laughs> um, but, yeah. And so both of you guys have lived in California. Yes. Yep. And I have not. How do you feel about the depiction of California in this movie? You're from the Bay Area. I'm from LA. Right. I, so I don't as have a as Bay much... Area resident. What do you think, Charles? Uh, we're not big fans of the of SoCal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even separating Sam the Bay Area from SoCal is great. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we have less of that. Like, I mean, LA's always got that like notoriety for being very. Like showbiz focused, very fake, I guess you would call it. Um, and we we don't really have that association in NorCal, um, but there's always that bit of like inter-California rivalry going on there. Yeah, I I think Beverly Hills is well depicted in this movie, which is like very specific neighborhood in LA, uh, which is like even yeah. to this day is going to have like movie producers and, and record producers right. in it. Um, the L.A. today is actually probably, like, closer to the New York of the 70s where there's, like, trash everywhere and <laughs> graffiti everywhere. Right. And, Character. And, and I say this with, like, great love for my time in L.A. But they're, like, 
And she even says that they're driving, and she's like, I can't believe this is yeah, Beverly Hills. So it's like, well, this is nothing to do with actual <laughs> Los Angeles. Right. Uh, and especially Los Angeles of the 70s. Um, but New York hasn't changed either, right? Because he comments, like, oh, I wish there were, like, trash everywhere. He says something along right, those lines. Right, right. <laughs> and that is the New York of today. <laughs> Without although, a doubt. Although New York is, at the time was going through, like, really, probably the lowest point Didn't in they mention history. that New York was a dead city in that movie? Yes. Yeah, 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 totally. I mean, like, that seems like a silly idea today, I think. Right. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, well, this would have been shortly before or after you had the New York drop dead. Uh, uh, headline. Yeah, so I think right. this is right after the time period through which New York is like very much a bankrupt city yeah. and pretty much just like a war zone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <you can't laughs> right. go to it was like Times late Square. 70s, 80s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then in the in the 80s, like uh, it starts to get a little better in the late 80s, and then even into the early 90s, like a lot of mm-hmm. New York is not a nice place. Uh, and then yeah. probably around 95, there's this little, like inflection point where suddenly New York is super nice. Um, yeah. Thanks, Giuliani. Yeah. Broken windows, right? Broken Although, window policy. Around the same time in the movie, another joke that I liked was he says, uh, they're going to LA, and he's like, oh, I really, I'm going to miss Christmas time in New York. Like Woody Allen would care yeah. about that at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did he specifically say Christmas time? Yeah, yeah. He, he does. Yeah. And okay. I was like, oh, it was like a really tiny but like great joke. <laughs> moment. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he has those throughout the movie, right? Like, the, yeah. he's constantly, constantly making jokes. Like my, I think my favorite one was when he was talking to the Shelley Duvall character, and he said like he was sorry he had to miss one of their meetings before because his raccoon had hepatitis. Yeah, she takes it literally. <laughs> She's like, "You have a raccoon." It's like, "Fuck you." Yeah, I love that about this movie that he, it's just and, half of uh, it. The Jeff Goldblum joke. Yes. too. it's oh. like a one-second Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> right. And there should have been a lot more Jeff Goldblum in the movie. Uh, That surprised me a lot because I I saw him. I was like, is that Jeff Goldblum? It is. And then he just, that's it. That's all he The more confusing one was Christopher Walken. Yeah. yeah. We haven't talked about his brother. That was a hilarious, like, he got some very hilarious Super funny. Yeah. 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 That was fantastic. And he crushes it in that scene. I actually think that Woody (laughs) Allen steps on it because he makes this, like, terrible joke to, like, get out. Right, right. And. I feel like if you just like backed out of the room without <laughs> yeah, saying it, anything, it would have been a much better joke. Well, the yeah. even better joke is the cut right after that. Or they call back to the drive. You know, well, no, because right they, like driving. Yeah, yeah, because Christopher Walken's whole bit there was, oh, sometimes when I'm driving at night, I think about yeah. plowing into the car that's passing on the yeah. next lane, and it cuts right to and them in the car drive, yeah. driving to the airport. Yeah, and there's Woody Allen just like holding on Actually, to your life. And I, I hate to say, like, this movie could be better, but there's, like, a few points where I think the movie could be better. I think that's one of them. Right. And most of the yeah. points are, it could have been better if Woody Allen had not stepped on things. Yeah, that's um, fair. And so I think at uh, the very beginning of the movie and the very end of the movie, if he had just, like, been silent lead-ins <laughs> to the scenes. Oh, no, no. That, oh, those opening jokes are great. No, they're awful. <laughs> they're they're so wrong. bad. And all they do is call attention to, like, how terrible he is, which That's I the, guess is what the, the movie's about. No, I understand that, but yeah. it would have been like a much like more, I think, like poignant uh, m- movie if 
he had not like stepped on the beginning and, and end. Oh, no, I, you mean I the, love you mean the, the joke about like oh this is miserable but it's all too short or yeah and then yeah, the, or like, I need the, the eggs, eggs the eggs joke at the end yeah th- it, it doesn't work as well at the end I agree with that yeah because if you but, just like see them talk because it's them talking right. from a distance and her and, singing it, like it's the only time there's a soundtrack and if you yeah. just like fade out to that without Woody Allen stepping on it would be so much better I I agree I, I agree with that but I think the beginning is dynamite like I think really I yes. was I, like I, I, I was me. almost like maybe I'll just read the synopsis and just like <laughs> yeah, go I'll in and like I know the movie no I remember uh, I remember watching that for the first time and just being immediately hooked I was like okay we're seeing something I different was actually here. like disappointed because like I remember very fondly Woody Allen comedies that I saw mm-hmm. as a kid um and you know Sleepers and Bananas being like the best examples of those uh, and I almost like really don't want to rewatch them because I feel like <laughs> all I'm gonna hear is like this the same like intro jokes, but like two hours of them because those are like straight <laughs> straight comedies. Yes. Um, and subversive in the, in their own way, um, but I don't know if I should rewatch them. It's no. sort of like <laughs> driving an old Ferrari or something where you just like. This could Just be look at it. Don't yeah. drive it because it's the worst car you've ever driven ever. Right, you know? but, I mean, but those the jokes at the beginning aren't just straight jokes, right? Like he, it's setting up the thematics for the entire movie. Yeah, right. In that, because the original title for Annie Hall was Adonia, which means the inability to feel Among pleasure. Among other titles. Right. Yeah. That was the, yeah, I think that was the longest running one, and the studio made him change it because nobody knows what that word means. But it means the, yeah. the inability to feel pleasure, right? And mm. that is... To a large degree, what Woody Allen thinks oh, his problem is probably such a better title. Well, although it is a good title because it it points to the fact that like she's the real hero, the dynamic movie. character. Yeah, she's the one making choices. That yeah, where he's just kind of like this misogynist monster throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who's, right. Like so terrible. Right, for but so it, many reasons. So yeah. so many reasons. Yeah. But I, I, that original title and those jokes point to what. Elvis Singer and therefore Woody Allen think his problem is, yeah. right? Like his actual problem is that he's an asshole. But his perception of his problem is that he doesn't know when to say no, right? He's not yeah. allowed to, he doesn't let himself accept good things into his life, which is, I think, a generous understanding of his problems, <laughs> but an insightful... I mean, yeah, that's probably problem it, like four. Problem yes. one is he's a giant asshole. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. by a wide margin. He just won't admit it. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. <laughs> but, it, I mean, for because it's this movie that's supposed to be very much from his perspective, right? Yeah. And that we're opening, that this movie is telling us right off the bat, this is going to be about the psyche of Elvis Singer, Woody Allen, and we're going to be breaking the fourth wall a lot. Yeah. Right? It, it, it sets those ground rules early. I think that those jokes function really well. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that it, it sets up those ideas and those themes uh, better than just a silent opening would have. Yeah. The one um, fourth wall that I really liked was pulling in Marshall in the yeah. blue hand. <laughs> yeah. Which, <laughs> which was great. Yeah. I can really identify with that scene. You always, <laughs> yeah. you always have that moment where you overhear someone that you completely disagree with and you just want to sock them in the face. Right, right. right. Yeah. Pull in Marshall McLuhan. And right. Yeah, could, you can never get like a better like dunk on somebody <laughs> yeah. than like, having right. Marshall McLuhan there to tell you, <laughs> you that like, you misunderstand my theories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't understand the first thing about my work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was good. The other one that I... That are like um, was the oh the wait wait and going back to that one one thing that's great about that is 
and Woody Allen is stating, I know his theories better, yeah. making yes. him seem like even more right. of like a meta asshole. Right. <laughs> right. Because that's what he's doing throughout, right? Yeah. And as soon as, like, because like, I, I use this medium better than you even understand. Th- then you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, he's, he does that all the time, just constantly trying to one up people and explain why he's smarter. Mm-hmm. And you see it come back to bite him when, and he like plays it straight with the editing, right? Because yeah. he says to mm-hmm. Annie Hall that, oh, adult education is a beautiful thing. You meet so many interesting professors. Yeah. And then it cuts all right to, why do you nice. care? Yeah, all these kids, all these professors are assholes. Like, why do you need to listen to these morons? And, and I think that that is a touch, a, a little bit of self-awareness that uh, is more than we typically expect from Woody Allen. Yeah. 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 Uh, mm-hmm. All right, so Charles, after seeing this movie, um, first of all, do you like it? And second of all, would you would you recommend it to someone else who hasn't seen this movie? I liked it a lot. Uh, I came in not knowing what to expect, and I was pretty much laughing immediately. Um, it was a very compelling story. Um, I liked, obviously, how well fleshed out Annie Hall's character was, as we discussed. Uh, I didn't like catch on to how subversive it was, but you know, it's making a lot more sense now that we've discussed it. Um, so yeah, I liked it a lot. It was very funny, um, very well written, uh, and I would recommend it um, basically without any qualification. I think anyone who without likes good movies, quality. there you go. I would recommend it to them. There you go. That's I awesome. still love this movie. I think I love it differently than I did last time I saw it, but it's still high on my list of of favorite movies. Uh, yeah, so it's not super high on my list, but <laughs> and I think it actually kind of damaged Woody, Woody Allen oh, for me. as an individual, definitely. Yes. Yeah, as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. As much as he's already damaged himself. Yeah. Um, and I, now I'm concerned about his other movies. Okay. Uh, but I, I think this this <laughs> is a good movie, probably one of his better movies. Um, yes. It, yeah. Yeah, well, I, th- I, th- I think in recent years he's gotten out from in front of the camera. Right? Like, he's not putting himself in movies anymore. He's just directing and writing. Yeah, I think he's, like, heard that criticism. Well, and he's probably realized that he looks really old now. <laughs> and he is uh, ancient, right? Because he's 40 in this movie. In 1977. Seven, no, 75. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. filming, yeah. 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 Um, so, he's, so that makes he, him 80 yeah, he, 81. He's, he's like right? 80-something now, Basically yeah. a crypt creeper, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he's old. Yeah. Um, and also, his most recent movies where he's a character like the Jade Scorpion yeah. are terrible. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas the movies where he's not a character are amazing, like Matchpoint. So. Jasmine. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, so next week, uh, I've chosen a movie. And uh, we're going to see one of my favorite films. Um, and probably the oldest film you've ever seen. By a wide um, margin, probably. right? By a wide margin, yeah. yes. So this is the uh, 1933 King Kong. Um, and uh, I hope you guys love it. It's yeah. one of my favorites as a student of animation. Right. I saw it in middle school for the last time, so it will be yeah. very much like seeing it for the first time. But um, it's I mean, I definitely know about the film. I've yeah. seen like clips of the climactic moment when King Kong's on the Empire State Building. Yeah. Who hasn't seen that? Right. Uh, and I've seen the Peter Jackson King Kong film. So. Okay. So we can Which compare and contrast. Acceptable. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the the seventies King Kong? I have not. I have only seen the Peter Jackson King Kong okay. film. Okay. I've seen the in my King Kong <laughs> repertoire. All right. Well, we'll talk about that next week. All right. Thanks for joining us. See you next week for King Kong. All right. Looking forward to it.